What's shaking, Fire Nation? JLD here with an audio masterclass for you on planning a powerful exit strategy. So if you're thinking about starting a business you might one day want to sell, if you're currently working in a business that you think you might want to sell, or hey, if you've already sold a business, you can probably commiserate with a lot of things we're going to be talking about today, which is planning a powerful exit. Because back in 2015, our guest today, Dan Andrews, and his partner, Ian Schoen, sold their product business, which they built over the course of seven years. They employed 15 people, and it was a multi-seven figure a year business and they netted multi seven figures in the sale. And while they don't regret selling the business, there are many, many mistakes they made that were avoidable and that you should know before you start going down this path. So no matter where you are in your stage as an entrepreneur, this Fire Nation is going to be very impactful for you because we're going to be discussing the five thought experiments of one, the lifestyle ladder, two, the mock tax rebate featuring the media CEO test. This one is sure to make you chuckle. Three, the hidden upsides. Four, the cash conundrum. And five, the dirty secret, which as you'll see, turns into the dirty secrets because there are more than one. We also talk about business brokers, the pros, the cons, their agenda, and so much more. So stick around. And if you want the full shebang, everything that we didn't get to talk about in this almost one hour interview, make sure to snag Dan's book before the exit. He has that and so much more available over at tropicalmba.com slash book resources. Again, that's before the exit. Now, let's prepare to ignite. So Dan, share one thing about yourself that Fire Nation is going to find unique and interesting. I recently uh, moved to Barcelona, Catalonia, or Spain a few years ago and uh, took up road cycling, which uh, is sort of like converting to Islam and moving to Mecca at the same time. <laughs> I had no idea that uh, Girona, the capital of Catalonia, is essentially the capital of professional road cycling. And so I got to live in that milieu and see that community for the past few years, which has been just a really sort of cool, exciting uh, happenstance that happened in my life. So like, I think a lot of older entrepreneurs uh, start to take up endurance sports because they're sports that you can push yourself 100% late into age. I know you're a baller, JLD. And <laughs> that's like they call the 30 plus leagues like ACL leagues because basketball is a really tough sport so on your tough. body. And I found myself easing up on the court and I found on my bicycle, I can still push 100%. So I took up road cycling, man. Dude, that is cool. That's very unique. That's super interesting. You and I actually preach uh, interview. We're talking about Puerto Rico a little bit. And mm -hmm. right next to me um, is this incredible off-road mountain. So I don't know if you do any mountain biking, but there's this sure. incredible mountain that I just see bikers go every day. And they're all geared up. I mean, they got the spandex <laughs> on. They've got the knee pads. Because if they oh, yeah. fall off coming down those hills, man, they need protection. So if you ever come out to visit... I'm going to show this to you. I personally run it about three or four times a, a week. That's kind of what I do. Uh -huh. But I don't know, man. Somebody like you uh, that's made that move makes me think I need to strap on uh, a bike and, and check it out. What do you think? Man, I'll tell you what. If you want to feel free, it's a, 
It's the quickest way to get there. Get on your bicycle. <laughs> well, Dan, I've been following you forever. I mean, you were on Entrepreneurs on Fire back episode 185, which is insane because I mean, you're episode like 2008 right now as we're speaking. And yep. it's it's been a, a crazy journey for me. It's been a really interesting and cool and crazy journey for you. And you've done a lot of stuff. You've had a lot of fun over the years. And you have planned what I know is going to be a super cool audio masterclass for Fire Nation. That's right. And that is planning a powerful exit strategy. And as I was kind of going over the notes you sent me, I'm really fired up because you're, you're going to really be chatting today about these five thought experiments in the planning of this powerful exit strategy and like what that means. And what I love about it is it's kind of going to be a little bit of a memoir of your life because you and Ian did this. So kind of set the stage a little bit before we dive into the first thought experiment and kind of sure. lead us up to where we're going. Well, John, let me set the context for why this discussion is important because a lot of books about exiting your business don't sell well to entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs want to hear, you know, how to grow, how to tips, how to more profit, all this. Uh, and now you come out with a book. It's like, hey, exiting is difficult. It's hard. And people just don't want to hear it. Right. They think that someone coming and giving you a bunch of money is a good thing. But here's what I learned. Fifty percent of small business entrepreneurs that exit their businesses are not only dissatisfied with it, but they're miserable about it. Ugh. And here's why we haven't heard about this, because it's not cool to complain about making millions of bucks. And so it's socially unacceptable to transmit this message. This is incredibly underbooked, John. Seriously, I had to sort of sort through my feelings. So in 2015, I exited the business that I had been growing for the better part of a decade along with my business partner, Ian Schoen. It was an e-commerce business, probably similar to a lot of your listeners have. And we decided, you know what we're going to do? We are going to sell this thing. We are going to exit. We are going to cash out, man. And we were excited about it. And uh, after having done it, I had a lot of misgivings about it. And I had to sort through. And when I started talking to other entrepreneurs, I found out that not only was I not alone, but this was common. This was common. And it's... You know, if you go to Amazon and, and and type in how to sell your business, it's all about getting the right price or negotiating with the other party. And the reality is that's such a small part of exiting your business. It's one small element to what can be a multi-year process, process that defines your entire career. Now, here's the fun part. It's not all gloom and doom. These exercises are fun and profitable and simple, even if you're just starting your business today. So I think you should start with the exit in mind. We, we, all, we all buy that, but the reality is what we're told online is create good processes, build a business that has to exist beyond you, all that stuff. That's such a small part <laughs> of what exiting is all about. Well, I love the fact that you're bringing the real today, you know, the authenticity, the genuineness. And Dan, have you heard or followed much of Rand Fishkin stuff and SEO Moss? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So what's really interesting, he's actually going to be a guest probably in about four or five weeks on Entrepreneurs on Fire. And I'm really excited because it's going to be a similar interview to what we're doing today, but in a different kind of vibe. It's going to be in the same authentic, raw, just realness where you're going to be talking about what it means to grow a business. You and your buddy, and you did it and it's e-commerce business and you sold it and you're not super happy about it and things you would have done differently. And it's going to be super valuable. And he's coming at it from a perspective. And you might love this book, by the way. I just got a pre-order of it. It's called Lost and founder. And it's about, yeah, it's about how what him, a great title. so good as a founder, you know, of what is now a $45 million a year company, 
uh, Moz, SEO. This company right now is doing $45 million a year. So what is, what is happening? His buddies are hitting him up. Yo, you're the CEO. Like, can you spare me a mill? Can you give me this? Can you give me that? And he's like, dude, I live in a two-bedroom apartment in Seattle. I make $165,000 a year. I barely, barely get by. Like, he's like, don't cry for me. But one sixty-five in downtown Seattle, you're not rolling. Like you, you know, he's skimping by on a lot of things. And he gets real and raw in this book about that. And and then, by the way, he recently just left the company. He talks about that as well. He did, he did an open letter um, not too long ago about that. And he's like, by the way, I need to start working like next month because I don't have much in the way of savings, even though I ran this company, you know, for better part of a decade and da-da-da. Actually, for him, it's like almost two decades now. So it's insane, the perception that we have, Fire Nation, and the reality. And that's what we're going to be always trying to talk about is the reality. So that's going to be a cool, different perspective. But for today with you, Dan, and what you and Ian have done over the years, I want to talk about these five thought experiments. So I see the first thought experiment is the lifestyle ladder. So how does that begin? This is where Fire Nation can grab out their notebooks, sit down with people that engage them, maybe people, friends that don't have an investment in what the outcomes are for you. Um, that, that might be a business partner, but that might be someone in your mastermind or whatever. And these are five thought experiments you can go through. So the first one is the lifestyle ladder. And Commonly in the entrepreneur world, we call this like, what is your number? Um, so that that number I call in the book, the freedom line. I borrowed this from Jason Cohn of a smart, bar, a smart Bear. So the freedom line is this sort of mythical number at which financial questions are shelved uh, for a lifetime. And it's interesting to think about how you might get to your freedom line, but we got to back up to the beginning because there's various levels of this lifestyle ladder that's amount of assets in your personal bank accounts, not your business bank accounts, that make a meaningful difference for your lifestyle. So the levels for me, where I'll just share my levels, like the first level was being in debt, which I'm actually an expert at. I'm a, I, I was in debt most of my adult life. The next level was being broke. The next level was basic savings, which is like 20 to 40 grand. The next level was a financial platform, which is six figures in savings plus a business with cash flow. Now, the important thing to note about the lifestyle ladder is that the effect of cash on your lifestyle is non-linear. Again, my levels won't be your levels. You have to figure out what this is for you based on your own goals. But an extra, if you have $20,000 in the bank, Going from zero to $20,000 is a complete lifestyle change. Going from $20,000 to $40,000 doesn't change much at all. So in other words, as we go up the ladder, the effect is non-linear. Now, why is this important? This is important because a lot of successful entrepreneurs who are thinking about selling their businesses might already have six figures in the bank in savings. They might have a good income source. And they're thinking about selling for, you know, high six figures or multiple seven figures. And the question you really got to ask yourself, is that going to make a meaningful difference in your life? Mm. So back to the realness. And this is the sort of thing I, I really believe that people don't talk about this stuff, John. So I will be the sacrificial uh, <laughs> lamb here and say, I underestimated the effect of a low seven figure payday on my lifestyle. It didn't allow, it didn't open up the doors that I vaguely thought it might like kind of being an investor, being an angel investor, like, you know, that sort of stuff. All that stuff was already available to me. 
And to do it at a next level, I didn't really have the cash to do that either. And I certainly didn't make enough money to shell financial questions for a lifetime. Like you said earlier, I got to get back to work, man. Yeah. And by the way, it's hard to get back to work. (laughs) So I implore the audience to write down your lifestyle ladder and really look at it in detail. What exactly is that payday going to do for you? Because you're giving up a lot to get it. And we'll get to that in the future thought experiments. Now, do you have a freedom line? Like, have you put that number out there? That's a great question. And even though I'm imploring people to do this thought experiment, like, I'm not an expert. I've done it. I'm a victim. I've done it. Do you want to share your number? My number is $50 million. Is that that high? (laughs) That's higher than what I've seen. Okay. I've seen... I've seen everything from a billion to a million, and that's nobody under a million. I guess we're hanging out with relatively yeah. young people. My number is like seven point five, eight. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. That's your freedom line, and that's kind of the thing that I wonder about. Because if you maybe asked me this question like four years ago, like that might have been my number, but you know now I'm about to break the eight figure number, so I'm about to become yeah. like you know liquid net worth ten million dollars, and so. Is my number different? Because like, so when I get to 50 million, if I get to 50 million, which to me is like, that's financial freedom for life, does my number change again? Well, that's a great point. This could very easily be a moving scale and many people report that. I mean, I'd be curious to know, like, um, you know, I'm not at the level, here's what I've seen and you tell me. Okay. I've seen that this financial platform level is like 200 grand in the bank plus cash flow in business. I've seen the next level that opens up opportunities for meaningful investments to be around like 2.5 to 5 million. Um, Because if you got a million in the bank and you live in like a city or something, you can't really go out and like make high risk investments. No. You got a family and stuff. You can't. Not enough. You you need kind of like three or four ish. And then the next level is sort of 10. And typically when you have that kind of money, Dan, is like you're probably pretty invested in like stock markets and cyber currency. And there's always that thought in the back of your mind, like, yeah, I might be worth 10 million today, but what happens if 2007 happens all over again? Now I'm worth 5 million. Now I'm worth 3 million. And now I got, my bills are still coming in because, you know, I live in Puerto Rico and, and, you know, it's like all these things. So that's a, it's, it's, it's obviously not a simple answer. Otherwise, people would have answered a long, long time ago. But before we move on to the next thought experiment, let's go through them one more time. You're going to have to help me with number three. But I put down debt. You go from debt, and then you become broke. And this is for me personally. I don't want to okay. you know, put this onto the audience. <laughs> they they got to decide what their goals are. Because there's going to be people, John, that want to live in an isle, a cheap island for the rest of their lives. And they just got to get to a million or whatever. And that's what their goal is. Well, and let's be completely honest. So they probably want to live in that for the rest of their lives until they get like some kind of health issue and then they're like 100 i actually want some kind of logistic answer here okay so let's uh, let me there's a there's a sort of a theoretical underpinning here if you let me share it yeah. if it's too heady then no let's go cut there. it out but it, it's this idea of your business platform provides you with a lot of opportunities and optionality okay so when you get rid of that huge opportunity platform you better do it for a good reason. Like that cash better open up the next set of opportunities mm. for you. And, you know, for me, like it didn't. And that that's a regret that I have is that like, man, I had this, like all this opportunity to make future wealth here. And I gave it up for wealth that didn't move that lifestyle ladder needle. Um, so what I've observed in my own case, that those levels have been broke to, or debt, being in debt, which is, horrible, to being broke, which is minorly better, to having basic 
savings. Now we're sort of in Dave Ramsey financial freedom territory. Then the next level is that financial platform. Um, that's six figures in savings. That's plus your, some cash flow. Exactly. Plus the cash flow. Uh, and then, you know, for me, I thought the next level would be a low seven figure payday, but nope, my life is exactly the same and I lost the cash flow. So what I've observed and you're, you're the guy for this is, is about, you know, three to five mil is sort of a interesting investment level. And then most people's freedom lines I've observed to be somewhere around 10 million. But of course, we're all speculating. You tell us. <laughs> I love this conversation. I love having these conversations because a lot of people don't and won't. It makes them squirm. It makes them uncomfortable. But you know what's more uncomfortable? Being in debt. You know what's more uncomfortable? Like being <laughs> broke. Like that's more uncomfortable. I'm telling you right now because Dan's been there. I've been there. I mean, I went into college debt, like not a ton because I was ROTC, but I still had to pay for other things that got me into some kind of debt. You know, I've been broke before. I mean, at first, a uh, second 100%. lieutenant in the U.S. Army, you know, I'm making $31,000 a year. You know, John, this, we were talking when we were yeah, broke, man. And we here's were. the thing, like, at the risk of sounding like these, oh, first world problem guys, no way. Like, if you're listening to this show, this is the path you're on. And this is a long, long road. So we're all playing the long game here. So all I'm asking is, hey, think about your future in this way, and hopefully it's fun for you guys. Um, that's what these things are designed to do. They're, they're designed to make this topic fun. So the only thought experiment that I personally don't think I know what we're going to talk about is actually this next one. So I'm really interested to see where we go with this. And that's thought experiment number two, which is the mock tax rebate featuring the mediocre CEO test. So I have yes. no idea, brother. <laughs> take it away. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says mediocre CEO. <laughs> so here's the issue. Um, when you start to have a business that, that gets pretty consistent and gets pretty big, you get invested. And a lot of us can start to worry. Like in my case, I worried about the percentage of my net worth that was wrapped up in our inventory in a warehouse in California. I started to worry about the global financial crisis. You know, we had more or less uh, avoided one during a run. It's like, how long would our luck last? And I would just worry. I don't think there's an entrepreneur that cannot relate to the fact that, man, what happens if my business hits the fan? Mm. Well, here's the issue. When you sell your business, you will have a global financial crisis focused on your assets alone. And that is you will pay taxes to the government. Oof. And now this is bad news if you sell, but it's good news for your thought experiments. Cause what I'm going to do is let's take back that enormous tax bill. So you have to calculate whatever that's going to be. Calculate, calculate your professional fees. Calculate the enormous percentage you're going to pay to a broker if you decide to sell to a business broker, which almost everyone does. And by the way, brokers are a big theme in the book and we should probably get to that yeah. at some point. Um, so what you got to do, the thought experiment, sit down, calculate what that mini global financial crisis focused on your business is going to be, i.e. professional fees and taxes. And now take it back and ask yourself the sorts of initiatives you could take on if you invested just a small percentage of, a percentage of that money back into your business. So another theme in the book is asking yourself to look at your business as an investor. Because right now you're invested as a founder, as a leader, as a CEO. But the moment you say, I'm thinking about selling, all of a sudden you're an investor. Yeah. And this is an asset. Okay, so now you've got maybe... 300 grand of free house money to play with. What could you do with it? Well, you could hire uh, a general manager or CEO. You could 
make your business fun again. You could think of your business as a platform to run charity initiatives. You could throw those cool location retreats that so many people are doing all around the world in exotic locations. You could re you know, put some enthusiasm and energy back into your business via thinking of it as an asset. And one of the more interesting thought experiments um, me and my friends like to run is this idea of the mediocre CEO test. And it's, you know, typically in a business sale, John, you're going to get, you know, three years, let's just say three years of your net earnings forwarded to you. Okay. Um, now, by the way, most businesses between $500,000 and $10 million that are, that are that valuation take about two years to sell. So think about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're to get forwarded three years of your earnings over a two-year sales process, which can be brutal and time-consuming. So let's instead install a mediocre CEO. And say the moment that mediocre CEO takes over your business, starts screwing it up. And all of a sudden, your net profits go down by half. Well, it's going to take mediocre CEO six years instead of three to recover your earnings that you would have made from a sale. But in the meantime, you get to focus on a bunch of other projects. A mediocre CEO might stumble onto something that you wouldn't have. Uh, maybe maybe mediocre CEO is good, has a different skill set that you that the business could benefit from. Um, a lot of the things that fa- motivate founders to sell are really about getting the chance to do new things, to step away from the business, to refresh, to clear up mental RAM. These sorts of experiments uh, can be done while you still hold on to the asset because after six years under the tutelage of mediocre CEO, you're still going to have that platform. So that's an experiment to ask yourself. You know, one of the things I was on a bicycle ride and I was riding next to this American guy and he was like the same as me. I was like, oh my gosh, you sold your business too. He's like, I was like, how do you feel about it? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm miserable. <laughs> and we were going back and forth and, and we were going back and forth. I was like, man, this guy is like the same as me. He has all the same emotions. And I like worked up the courage to ask him. I was like, well, how much did you sell your business for? And it was like 10 times what I sold my business for. And it was like all the same uh, emotions going back and forth. And you know what he said to me? He said, I just wish I would have left for a month. He said, I, I had been doing this for so many years that I didn't have any perspective. And so that's the, the final experiment in this chapter. It's this idea of, look, if you want to walk away for a lifetime, how about just trying it out for a month and seeing what that experience is going to be like for you. And many entrepreneurs report that so many of the lessons they learn from selling they could have learned from engaging in experiments like this. I wish I'd walked away for a month. I mean, Fire Nation, if that's not the sound of regret, I mean, what is? And that's just the reality. That's why that's such great advice by Dan. And one of the phrases that I wrote down, Dan, that I love that you said was free up mental RAM. And I kind of want to even maybe take in a little bit of a different direction from where you are going, which sure. is when you make that commitment to sell your business, and you said it takes that two-year process, And you're already in a way, number one, you're spending a lot of time in the process of selling your business. Number two, you're kind of in some ways mentally checking out because you're no longer thinking three, five, 10 years out, how can I grow this business? You're like, how can I sell this business? And this is a two-year process. Free up that mental ram. Like imagine if you had never made that decision, like where could your business have gone if you had done those things? I mean, you could have, you know, made as much money in those two years of just diddling around instead of diddling around trying to sell it that you would be in the sale and I mean, then you can just walk away. It's a keen insight. It's a, it, you, I think you nailed 
an important part of the what I'm trying to express in the book here. Um, exactly that. Exactly that. That that. And, and in our case, a strange thing happened that Ian started doing great stuff for the business in order to make it look good to buyers. Oh. And uh, it was, you know, it was. But I totally hear what you're saying. It's like this process is extremely emotionally draining. So much so that we almost sold at a million dollar discount. Wow. I have this whole story at the end of the book, this deal maker guy, like just, he just ground us down. And after you're doing this for like a year and people are kicking your tires and you, and you know, the marketplace of people that want to buy a $5 million business is not large, right? right? This isn't the NASDAQ. This is like three people in California that are kind of maybe thinking about <laughs> writing a check. And so all of a sudden you're sort of beholden to them for this process, this goal that you have, you want to exit and they're there and they make you an offer and they're bullshit, whatever happens. And it's like, it's really hard to keep perspective when you've been working on this project for 12 months and you're tired and you just want to move on to something new, which is so much of the reason why entrepreneurs want to sell their businesses that they're bored, they're sick of it, and they really want to focus on new things. Let's talk about the hidden upsides, because I feel like there's going to be some things in this thought experiment that Fire Nation is going to really glean. The hidden upsides is a tough one to intuit. So I opened the chapter by telling a story of my friend, Brian, who's one of my mentors who's built real wealth and he has this incredible ability to keep focused on his business and keep making the same old business exciting to him by doing new things, by getting involved in fun projects. And for a lot of us, when you've been running the business for three or four years and it's more or less steady growth or it's it's flatlined or whatever, we all of a sudden sort of think that we're experts like, oh yeah, I have a three-year sample size. I know exactly what next year is going to look like. And a lot of us are kind of like, man, next year is just going to be the same. It's going to be boring. I'm an entrepreneur. I want fresh. I want new. Well, Brian's not like that. So he was in a, a, a conversation with a supplier at a cocktail party, and they, they were kind of like sick of their current supplier. And one thing leads to another, and Brian's platform opens him up to this crazy opportunity to that would require him to write a $25,000 check. Um, which based on his experience in his business, it was for dive watches. Um, so he's a, he's a, in a scuba diving supply. I'm sure you know a thing or two about that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so he had data on this in his business. And he's like, look, there is no way I'm ever going to cover this $25,000 nut. But he wrote the check because there was a, a tangential opportunity. And so he does this. And these dive watches start taking off like crazy. He ends up ordering 12 times that annually within the next few years. And it, I just bring this up as a lesson to say, like, just because your business has been consistent or is, quote, boring, doesn't mean that it needs to remain that way. And one of the things that I think we we really, the investors, angel investors and VCs have done a great job of glamorizing the role of investors, but it's fake. What's actually rare and what's actually amazing is what entrepreneurs have done. And the investors are just bored, lazy sharks who are trying to to put lipstick on a pig, and that pig is mm. cash and time, which everybody has. Okay, so cash and time, they're great, but they're commodities. Your business, the platform that you've built, and the unique synergies that that can create in your life, that is extremely rare. 
And so what happens is you sell this business and then you've got a little bit of money and you start going to these parties and you start saying, oh, let's start a fund. And how many times are you going to have to hear about this fund idea from people who have a couple <laughs> bucks? And I, I know you're laughing because this is like now th- this is supposedly what was going to be this awesome oh. position. I'm exited, John. I'm going yeah. to invest in these young entrepreneurs. And the reality is, is that anybody that's a good entrepreneur is not having trouble finding people to support their business. And when you walk into a cocktail party with a business up your sleeve, it's like having an ace up your sleeve. Because meeting other people is one thing. Maybe you'll be friends, maybe you'll be contacts or whatever, but connecting business platforms, that's like, that's fire, right? And that's what happened with Brian is, look, Brian's a really charismatic, awesome guy. Like you'd want to hang out with him. But it was the fact that he had 16 stores in the Philippines that opened him up to the opportunity, you know? And, and that's, I think what entrepreneurs can tend to undervalue is that platform that they've built and how it changes the way you can interact with others. You know, that was actually one of the first things I thought of when you said putting lipstick on a pig, when you said, you know, Ian was doing all these things to our business that was making it look better for the investors, et cetera. I was thinking, hey, that could be really good because you might be, you know, doing things you wouldn't otherwise have done, working a little bit harder, putting a little more focus, or B, you might be focusing on the wrong things that would have grown your business better if you were just not looking to quote unquote sell and make it all trusted up and pretty, but instead saying, hey, we know what works. We know what's the long-term plan here and make that happen. So it can be kind of that change of direction. And, you know, Dan, you know, not to my own horn here, but you're actually right (laughs) now kind of part of the retooling of my business. I mean, you're episode 2007 right now. And for the first 2000 episodes of Entrepreneurs on Fire, it was seven days a week. And I would interview an entrepreneur every single day and I would ask them the same four questions. And the questions worked because, you know, it was for stories. So the stories would be completely different and unique. But Again, I was asking the same four questions. And here I was five and a half years later saying, man, like, how many more of these do I really have in me right now? I mean, the business is making multiple seven figures a year. Like, what else can I do? I don't want to walk away from this cash cow, but I knew I had to change things up. So, episode 2000, you know, I announced it 30 episodes prior. I put my foot down. I said, hey, I'm going to a twice a week show, Mondays, audio masterclasses. Thursdays, I'm doing these live Q&A shows where I bring on you, Fire Nation, by the way, so keep your eyes out, and I answer any question that you have. And now it's a -a two-day-a-week show. It's completely retooled. And Dan, my excitement level for Entrepreneurs on Fire for this podcast is at a level I haven't seen since 2013. And that fires me up. So Fire Nation, like, how can you retool your business in that way? So Dan, like, what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? I love that idea. And it brings me back to the mock tax rebate thing is like a lot of people, they feel like they know what their business needs, but no business needs anything more than an impassioned founder. And the, you know, it's easy to get established and say, there's all this stuff you're supposed to do. In your case, you build up this reputation as being the daily guy. And now you feel locked into that. And look, you could have sold it up and freed up some mental RAM and gone and done something else. And then face the 30, 50% tax buzzsaw or whatever, (laughs) or uh, you can find a way to re-engage yourself and play long ball and continue to open yourself up to opportunities. You have no idea what's going to come your way. You could have never predicted this in the first place. So in some ways it's about like recapturing that entrepreneurial spirit that we had at the beginning. And that was, that's part of uh, what I implore readers at the end of before the exit, the book is like, hey, like recapture your spirit. You've done something amazing here. Like don't listen to what all these professionals are telling you your business is worth or how to sell it or how to create a deal. Like 
if you listen to professional's advice, you'd have a job right now, <laughs> you know? So like, this is fun. This is fun. Run an experiment with it. It's not as bad as what you're going to face if, if you bail out completely. Fire Nation, I hope that this is a karmic session for you because it definitely is for me. I'm enjoying this thoroughly and we have some incredible value bombs coming up, specifically Thought Experiment number four and five. Plus, as Dan promised, we're still gonna be talking about brokers in a little bit here, but we are first gonna take a second and thank our sponsors. It's sad, but true. Attorneys are expensive. Did you know you're likely to pay around $300 an hour? That's just one reason why smart business owners turn to LegalZoom. Over 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses with LLCs and corporations and more. But even after your business is set up, LegalZoom can still help. If you ever deal with lease agreements, changing tax laws, or contract reviews, then LegalZoom has your back. And that means you can spend your time working on your business instead of in it. LegalZoom even created their very own business legal plan to help small business owners like you. With it, you'll get legal advice for your business from vetted independent attorneys and tax professionals available in every state. You also receive access to NDAs, lease agreements, and more. The best part, you won't get charged by the hour since LegalZoom isn't a law firm. Instead, you pay just one low upfront price. Check out LegalZoom's business legal plan at LegalZoom.com now and get special savings when you enter EOF at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com. Being an entrepreneur means you're 100% responsible for what takes place in your business. But have you ever thought about securing your data and business info by backing up your software programs? Having your info backed up and securely waiting for you whenever you need it, no matter where you are, is huge peace of mind. Now, if you're like me, you probably haven't ever thought about this, but luckily, Right Networks can help. Right Networks helps entrepreneurs securely transition applications like QuickBooks Desktop or Microsoft Office to the cloud. That means you can keep close track of your finances and operations from anywhere, anytime, giving you and your team maximum flexibility. Never worry about servers, backups, or needing additional storage. Again, with their 24-7, 365 US-based support, Right Networks has your back. To learn more, give Right Networks a call at 888-469-5905. And for a special 10% discount, mention Entrepreneurs on Fire. That's 888 888- 8469-5905. So Dan, we're back and we've talked about thought experiment number one, the lifestyle ladder. Number two, the mock tax rebate featuring, I love it, the mediocre CEO test. I'll buy that shirt, by the way. And number three, <laughs> the hidden upsides, which was super revealing for me in a lot of ways. Let's move on to number four, the cash conundrum. What's the deal? This is this idea of, I used to play this business model uh, game with my friend David. It's this idea that not all business models are created equally. So you say, you know, would you rather make fifteen thousand dollars a month from clients, or like being a services entrepreneur, or would you rather make thirty five hundred dollars a month from selling eBooks? And it's like, I don't know. It's like you know, you tweak the numbers and like how you know it sort of says where your values are, where your strengths are, and you can do the same thing with cash flows versus cash piles. They behave differently. So cash piles are there exposed to the elements, whether that's the tax man, their, uh, your cousin who has a startup idea, <laughs> uh, they erode. Whereas 
cash flows are are sort of dynamic, right? Like you can put ideas into them and they can sort of generate profits out the other side and they're adaptable. Yeah, like real quick, I was out to dinner last night. It was a bachelor party and I knew it was going to be a hefty bill and I'm like, oh, this is going <laughs> to be hefty. But then I get a little ding on my phone. I look down and I'm like, oh, somebody just, just joined Podcasters Paradise. Like that's some cash flow coming in. I feel a little exactly. bit better about this big check that's about to hit my way too. Exactly. There was this great book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, I was just hanging out with Robert Kiyosaki two weeks ago. He was in Puerto Rico speaking. Crazy. It was cool. That's awesome. Follow me on Instagram, Dan. You know this stuff. <laughs> I got to follow you on Instagram. I loved his definition of financial freedom, which is, is as follows. He says, uh, financial freedom is the moment at which your income from passive investments is higher than your monthly expenses. Yes. And that's the experience that you had at, at the steak dinner is you were like, hey, wow, this income's coming in. I'm good. I'll order an extra <laughs> glass of wine. So uh, what in, in sort of contemporary parlance, you might look at that as a, a leveraged online business instead of real estate investments, what he was talking about. And you say, okay, like I work four or five hours a day on a business that I enjoy, that I'm engaged in. Let's say you make you know $6,000 a month. And that's adaptable. Like we said, it has hidden upsides. It's flexible. Uh, you can grow it if you want to work more, et cetera. Well, that business that makes you $6,000 a month, if you were to go sell it at the average market rate, would net you $216,000 on the market, plus you had to pay taxes. It's like, is $216,000 going to get you to the next level in your lifestyle ladder? And I think it's important to think, like, if you do want a cash pile, and it's going to be different for everybody, what is your intention to do with it? And do you have a clear plan, a set of engagements? You know, a cash pile for someone who has experience investing in real estate is going to be very different from someone like me who has no such experience, has no investment experience. But one of the things that if you do read the literature about uh, entrepreneurs exiting their businesses is that the investment skill set is completely different from the entrepreneurial skill set. And I, I don't have an investment bone in my body. So for me, uh, I've noticed that cash piles, they can create a great deal of anxiety um, and they can erode quite quickly if you're, if you're not sharp with it. Yeah, like my cash piles are like Eric stressing my father out because he's like a joint on my investment. He's like, son, what are you going to do with this money? You got to do this. And I'm like, no, just leave it alone. I'm just going to make more and it'll be fine. But like, I totally get that though because I'm like, well, I'm not leveraging everything. I could be buying investment properties, but then that's more mental bandwidth, not in my business. You know, I could invest heavy in like some stocks like the Four Horsemen, like Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, or what happens if, you know, you know the crash comes and then I'm just going to like see half my wealth erode in a, in a couple days and it's like I'm not just seeing numbers go down I'm seeing like years of my life and sweat equity just deteriorate but you just sit there in cash and guess what you know I mean the interest is happening and you know things are going and the, that money's eroding because of all these things that are happening in the world and things cost more tomorrow than they do today so it's it's tough tough Dan it's totally tough and businesses float along with the market too so that they can be much more dynamic than cash depending on you know what industry you're in or whatever so Look, I, it's, it's for everybody's individual thing, but th there's one other hidden upside that's worth pointing out because most of the time in the business buy-sell literature space, if, if you say, hey, I want to sell my business, the first thing people uh, advise you to do is to maximize your EBITDA or to maximize your annual earnings. And part of the problem with that is businesses are incredibly tax efficient. 
So you know that inventory, John, that I was worried about? Yeah. It turns out it was like the best investment that I have found like ever. I mean, it was like a 20% year over year investment. And here I was worried about it. It's like, I can't find anything close. You know, I can't find anything close to it. So look, this idea of maximizing your earnings from your business so that you can show some maybe buyer that you're making money so that you can get three years. Maybe if that's your game plan, go for it. But what I've seen people build real wealth, John, they actually take the opposite strategy for many years and sometimes many decades, which is, they put things in the business. They invest in the business. They don't make a big salary. Uh, they earn their money through dividends. Uh, you know, small businesses are incredibly tax efficient. So, maximizing their tax efficiency is often diametrically opposed to what business selling professionals will advise you to do when you want to put your business on the market. I just advise everybody to move to Puerto Rico. That's the number one thing you should do. <laughs> <laughs> At least move out of California. <laughs> so Dan, I feel like we've uncovered a lot of dirty secrets and a lot of things that are kind of, you know, just misrepresented, inauthentic, not genuine in the world. And I love how you and your book are bringing these things to light. But let's talk about the final thought experiment now. Let's talk about the singular, the dirty secret. <laughs> Is it possible you're ever so slightly deceiving yourself? Mm. Are there painful truths that you don't want to admit? So this thought experiment, probably best done with someone non-invested that's willing to be honest with you. Um, one way we do this, John, is that we use boredom as a way to mask incompetence. Have you ever heard of this thing called the Peter Principle? No. So it's this idea that employees in a firm get promoted to their level of incompetence. Oh. So, so this explains why you hated your boss when you had a, <laughs> a corporate gig. But um, you probably have seen this in the military as well. I'd be curious to that. Well, not as much only because like the military is interesting where it's automatic like time in. So that's interesting. You just get put in really mm -hmm. bad positions if you're incompetent. So I think that's maybe one interesting thought experiment. But when you were talking about the Peter experiment, I was thinking about my last boss in corporate finance and he was amazing at sales and he was horrible as a manager. Horrible. <laughs> it's, well, let's interpret the Peter Principle to entrepreneurship. So basically the way the Peter Principle works is like if you're good at being uh, a six-figure entrepreneur, you're likely to move up to be a seven-figure entrepreneur. And if you're good at being a seven-figure entrepreneur, maybe you'll move up. The point is at some point you'll end up at your level of incompetence. And this is the moment when a lot of people start to think about selling their business because you start looking around, things might be a little bit stagnant and you'll say things like, oh man, I'd really like to do some new projects. I'd really like to, uh, you know, free up some space or I'm kind of sick of doing what I'm doing. And this comes back to this business cliche. I'm, I'm sure it's been on the show countless times, which is what got you there, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And this idea that you, you're stuck in your business incompetent can often manifest as boredom. So in my case, I would look at all the quote tasks on my table and like things like going to trade shows and making sales calls. And I, and I would, I would be like, man, you know what? I know what it takes to get this business to the next level, but I'm just, I don't want to go to another trade show. I'm so sick of it. And had I had an honest interlocutor who knew something about what I was going through, they would say, Dan, uh, you're not going to turn this $3 million business into a $10 million business by doing the same old crap. And 
you're kidding yourself that you're bored right now. You may be incompetent. You don't know how to take it to 10 million. Mm. But you know what is easy to say is, you know, I'm going to sell it. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm going to exit. You talk to business brokers and you go from being bored and vaguely confused and, and sort of anxious about the downsides to being the bell of the ball. Because all of a sudden the brokers can say, oh, great. <laughs> you know, you want to sell? Here's the thing. Like every broker, if you want to sell your business, they are going to love you mm. because you're their opportunity to make money. Yeah. So all of a sudden, all these difficult emotions, all these challenges in front of you that could be exciting if you saw them uh, for what they were can manifest as this, this tedium, this boredom. And the reality is, is there's nothing boring about taking a business to the next level. So if you think it's boring, if you think it's tedious, uh, your mindset could have could have sort of topped out at your level in the Peter Principle. It's kind of hard to hear in a way because as you're talking, like I'm looking at a mirror that's in my room and I'm like, he's talking <laughs> to you, Dan. He's talking to you right now in Fire Nation. If you're being honest with yourself too, he might be talking to you. And that's the thing where I think masterminds are so important and you are the average of those five people you spend the most time with. And, and keep it small, you know, keep it to people, you know, yes, they're going to be your friends. So they're investing in that friendship on some levels, but they're not investing in your business. They're willing to be open and honest with you and say like, listen, yep. you've been at 3 million for two years now. Like, listen, going to a trade show might get you to 4 million, but what's going to get you to 30 million? Like start thinking for that moonshot, start, start thinking in a different way. And, and that's something that I think is so critical, so key. And you know, while you, Go ahead, Dan. I have three or four more dirty secrets, John, that I feel like I got to get off my chest. I love but, it. I thought but, there was only one. It was the dirty secret. <laughs> no, but I the know, more I, the I, merrier. I realized that I should rename this chapter. This is full of dirty secrets. <laughs> but but th this, let me just plan an idea about how one might solve that and how mastermind could be a problem. Okay. It, the sense that a lot of what we do as entrepreneurs isn't information that we know. It's know-how. It's like experiential knowledge. And... I heard Seth Godin advise a woman one time. She was like, hey, how do I get my business from 10 million to 100 million? And here's what, here's what was his advice. He said, go hire a CEO for your business. Go work for a $100 million business as like a C SVP or whatever. And once you understand how they run, come back. And it turned out, the story goes at least, that that advice worked. It makes sense to me because in fact, our business got to the level which was over $3 million annually in sales, that my previous jobs business was at. So in other words, I had the experience of running a mid-seven-figure business previously. And is it happenstance that I grew my business to that level? Perhaps. Who knows? But the idea is that I have no experience running a 10 or $50 million business. So why am I the right person to get it there? Maybe I'm not, but maybe I could become that person. And that may come through know-how, which is experiential knowledge, and not you know, reading the right books or whatever. So just something to think about before uh, I, I share a few more dirty secrets. Yeah, so what if like in, in a mastermind that you did have that there were people that had some of those experiences or skills? Because I'm trying to understand, like, are you like kind of anti-mastermind or pro or somewhere in the middle? I'm 100% pro-mastermind. It's simply a matter of understanding that the advice that a person who has a million dollar business might give to you might not be the thing or even from a 10 million dollar might not be the missing piece to you solving this sorting out this peter principle Got issue it. okay more dirty secrets let's go yeah more dirty secrets so uh what are the chances that you can actually build another successful business so what happens when you build a successful business is that 
you conflate the success of your business with your ability to create successful businesses. And the reality is, is you don't have uh, that many, uh, that much of a sample size to know how much of it was timing, circumstance, luck, the type of energy you had at the time, the type of connections you had at the time. So, you know, it's for everybody to make a call, but if you followed online entrepreneurs, we've all seen folks that, you know, enthusiastically leave one thing to do another and then nothing happens. It's because it's easy to say that because I was able to get something off the ground the first time that I'm the guy or the girl to be able to do it the next time. And that's a tough one. I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, it's the one hit wonders. You know, I kind of look at that. I'm like, that song is so good. How do they not come out with any other song? And sometimes I wonder that, you know, about myself or about other entrepreneurs. I'm like, did we just get our one hit and we now just need to hang on for dear life? Are we that one hit wonder? Or, you know, could we just go in a completely different direction and replicate the success on some levels, maybe even to a greater level? It's, I don't know. Let's, let's, the next thought experiment might shed some light on that, which is, do you have the desire and energy to build another business? So this is something that, um, a couple of the people that I interviewed for the book, like DHH and Jason Eckenroth pointed out, which is that it's easy to look back with rose colored glasses at that period in your life when you were engaged in the project of getting something off the ground. Um, maybe your listeners can relate, but I think at the time I was basically working two shifts every day for three or four years. Mm. And as you get older, you know, Jason Cohn points out in this great article, you can only have two big things. Say you take on increased responsibilities, like uh, you you want to build a family, you want to have a, a hobby, you want to start a charity, you want to be a volunteer fireman, whatever. All of a sudden, that two shifts goes down to one shift, goes down to, well, I got a little bit of money in the bank from selling, so now it's going to be, you know, four and a half days a week. And you know, this is something that DHH from uh, uh, Basecamp pointed out to me. He said, look, uh, I don't want to go back to my 20s. I don't want to be that guy again. I worked till my eyes bled. And it's really, really hard to start a business. And it's easy to look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a genius. I'm so smart. <laughs> and when in, re- when in reality, it was your willingness to go to the mat every day, 10 hours a day, and hustle and do uncomfortable things. And that's great in your 20s. That's great for your first business. It may not be so great when you have responsibilities, you got a little bit of cash, and you're not as motivated as you once were. These are all really important things to be thinking about, to be reflecting upon, Fire Nation. And Dan, I don't want to cut you short because if you want to go through a couple of things, let's keep going. But I also want to make sure that we do talk a little bit about the business broker because I feel like that's an important part of this conversation too. Here's the thing about business brokers is they're responsible for a very small part of this. And it's easy to, you know, it's like you walk into the doctor's office and they're wearing a white lab coat or whatever, and you <laughs> think they're the genius. But uh, here's, uh, the Nassim Taleb has a great quote about this. Don't ask the doctor what you should do. Ask the doctor what he would do if he were in your shoes. Ooh. Okay, so this is important thing to consider when it comes to your business broker. Your business broker is not on your side, okay? Your business broker is on the deal side. They, much like a real estate broker, they only benefit when the deal goes through. Their asset is your listing. If they lose a deal, they lose their payday. And they're not incentivized to maximize the deal size. So whether or not they say it or admit it or whatever, they are consciously driving down the value of your business because it's more, okay, that's a pretty bold statement. 
I'll just put it out there. It's not a fair statement. I'll just say this. They're not incentivized to maximize deal size. Yeah. We can do the math on it, John. Like they sell your business for a million, they make a hundred thousand. They sell your business for three quarters of a million, they make seventy-five thousand. Just the biggest threat that they're working against is the fact that it won't sell. Uh, it won't sell, exactly. And the swing for them is twenty-five grand. The swing for you is a quarter mil, and you're losing your asset. And it's the one time in your career that you're gonna be able to capitalize on this asset through a sale. So you, look, brokers aren't out there to take advantage of you. I'm not trying to say that. And they do have a worthwhile function in terms of they're very good at like walking people through the stages of the deal, which are very complex and ensuring that you get to that end phase. That said, they won't help you with all this emotional stuff. They won't help you with all this life planning stuff. They won't help you ensure that this gets into good hands. All, in other words, all the hard work is still on your desk, dear entrepreneur. And it's not clear to me that many of these brokers have a, a ton of experience in this. I mean, you could ask them, how many businesses have you exited from? And this comes back to the title of the book because exiting a business, John, is so much different than selling one. Okay, selling a business is about getting the right price. It's about being a deal maker. It's about taking something and maximizing its value. Exiting is about a career change for you. It's about moving on from your pride and joy, your baby, your legacy. It's about figuring out what the next step in your life is. And that is not what lawyers do. That is not what business brokers do. That is not what advice givers in the M&A space do. And from the handfuls of entrepreneurs I've talked to, from the research I've done on this, all the important stuff is outside of the scope of these professionals. And there's no way to get around that if you do want to sell or if you do want to exit your business, you'll be engaging on one of the most important uh, projects in your life. And that if you over rely on professionals who, quote, know how to do things, um, you might end up regretting it. Exiting a business is so much different than selling one Fire Nation. That's a huge takeaway. I really hope that you understood and absorbed that. And of course, if you want to learn more, Dan's book is the place where he goes into so much more detail about the lifestyle ladder, the mock tax rebate featuring the mediocre CEO test, the hidden upsides, the cash conundrum, and of course, the dirty secrets, plural, because there's multiples there. Yes. And Dan, why don't you just kind of maybe close this down for us? I mean, give us a parting piece of guidance and then give us the best way that we can connect with you and with what you have going on and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, if you want to hear the whole story, I mean, John, I have, uh, you could go to tropicalmba.com slash book resources. I have interviews with uh, the woman who bought our business. Ooh. So she's like a character in the book. We call her CEO Sally. But she actually comes on to the, uh, we do an interview with her and we talk about like what all this was like <laughs> from her side. Like she's trying to figure out who these two guys are. And we're trying to figure out who she is. Meanwhile, this guy named Deals Dimitri almost ripped us off for a million bucks and our uh. broker didn't save us. And so it's this kind of interesting drama. So if you go to tropicalmba.com slash book resources, you can take a listen to those interviews. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, that's, that's about it. You you know, I'll tell you what, here's the takeaway. Um, I think that I was depressed about selling the business, but I didn't know it. Like it was such a big piece of furniture in my life that I knew something, I, it was kind of like something was off about me, but I didn't know what. And as I started to meet other entrepreneurs, it's a shame that I hadn't met them before and I hadn't been more proactive about it. Um, I sort of was sick of running my business. I just wanted to get off my plate. 
what a big mistake, John. If I could go back, I would have met others. I would have been more engaged in the project and about, you know, the opportunity for me. And uh, I got to do that after the fact. After the fact, I talked to people. I reached out to people who've exited. I learned a lot from them. And by writing the book, it felt like a catharsis. Mm. I feel excited, renewed, refreshed, and I'm really happy to have done it. Absolutely. And you're ready to go, brother. Well, one thing I love saying when Fire Nation, when you come to me and ask for a mentor in different areas, I say, listen, go find somebody who is currently where you want to be and just have a conversation with them. Just try to engage with them. And you know, you might have to try a hundred times to get a hold of that person and to find that yep. person who, who will interact with you, but it's worth it because you know, frankly, if Dan had done that, if he had gone and found people who were where he thought he wanted to be, which was selling his business. So if he had found those people, he might have had some really good, real, authentic conversations that could have changed a few things around. And absolutely. Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with DA and JLD today. So <laughs> keep up the heat. And of course, head over to eofire.com and just type Dan in the search bar. And this entire show notes page is going to pop up with everything that we've been talking about, all the links, all the resources. You'll be able to check out the first time Dan came back on the show, which was way, way back in the day in the early 100s. Actually, it was episode 175. So really cool stuff. But the final strong call to action from me, Fire Nation, is for you to head over to tropicalmba.com slash book resources. Check out that interview with Sally. And I'd love if you did one, Dan, maybe a year from now with her, if she'd be willing to, just totally. to see how the business is going. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We're, we're definitely going to be doing that. Tropicalmba.com slash book resources. You will not regret consuming all of this great content. Dan is a very entertaining an educational writer at the same time. And Dan, I want to thank you, brother, for just coming on, sharing this audio masterclass with Fire Nation. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, John. Hey, Fire Nation. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Dan today. And if you're ready, ready to master productivity, disciplined and focus in 100 days, then visit themasteryjournal.com and you'll have the exact system you need to ignite and use a promo code podcast for a nice little discount. And thank you for listening to my podcast. And instead of a post roll today with a sponsor of sorts, I just want to actually give one of my buddies a shout out. You've probably heard of him because he's been on my show three times now, episode 598, 1190, and 1614. His name is Jordan Harbinger and he used to be the host of The Art of Charm, but he no longer is. He actually launched his own show called The Jordan Harbinger Show. And let me just be honest with you, if you like entrepreneurs on fire and now that we're not daily and you're not listening to The Daily Refresh, which is also daily, but only three minutes and you're looking for more content, well, you should probably go check out The Jordan Harbinger Show because he teaches everything from what to do in a crisis, how to cultivate resilience and grit, how to handle uncertainty and instability, how to protect your mindset so that you're always performing at the top of your game in Fire Nation. I want you to be performing at the top of your game. So I will catch you there or I'll catch you on the flip side.